We just sang uh, two songs back to back. The first, the first song we sang today said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You never let go. Um, second song we sang said, better is one day in your house. And uh, it's, it's really, for Israel, it was a reference to being in the temple because the temple is where the presence of God dwelt, Right? Where is the presence of God now? Is it in our building? Well, of course it is, because when we gather here, He's here. But He actually dwells within us now. We are the temple, right? And so to be in unity with Christ, to be united with Him and in, in fellowship and communion with Him, literally means better is one day when you and I are on the same page, really when I'm on your page. That's really what we're singing, right? And then we sang... The third song that we sang about his, he is risen says these words, let no one caught in sin remain. Let no one caught in sin remain. I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up if you sin this week because we just all hold our hand up, okay? But he's saying, the song says, Christ is risen. In, let, let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame. Fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love, bled for us. Christ is risen from the dead. His death and resurrection gives us the freedom to not dwell in sin any longer, to actually work through our sin. And then we sang, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. We want to be a generation of people that live more like you than like we want to live. Pretty strong songs, isn't it? And uh, I, I know some of you catch those words, and I know sometimes you... You're, you're listening to the music or you're hearing me miss chords and stuff that are happening up here or you're worried about something else and you miss really the emphasis. So what I'd really like to do is just in a quiet moment, would you bow your heads and would you ask the Lord this morning, just you and the Lord, would you ask Him to speak to your very soul from the Word of God this morning? And then I want to pray for us. Father, I'm so glad you never, ever let go of us. Even when we're a mess and when we sin like crazy, as your children, you have, you have a way to hold on to us, to protect us, and to help us, to call us back to right. Lord, I pray that no one that's caught in sin today, especially me, but none of us would remain in sin. I thank you for cleansing us and forgiving us of sins we confess. And Lord, I ask you now that you would, you would purify for yourself this bride, north side, this bride. Purify us as we hear the word and it washes into our life today, Lord. I pray that we would be changed uh, by, the, by the word of God and the spirit of God that holds us accountable to that word, counsels us in that word. I pray that we would be changed. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Cody, would you turn the center lights on for everybody? That'd be awesome. And uh, we have a couple of values at Northside that we believe. And a lot of times when we're between preaching series, we got a series coming up in a, a few months. I can't figure the title out, so I can't even tell you what it is yet. My son's annoyed by that because he likes to make slides to promote it, but I can't do it for him because I don't know the title yet. But, uh, but when we're between, I really like to go to our core values of our church and say, let's remember some key values. One of the values that I want to talk to you about this morning is that we believe with all our heart 
that Christ followers, Christians, and by the way, we, I use the word Christ followers a lot. You've noticed that in your handouts and on the screen because Christians kind of get a bad rap and people get all, and it's a, it's a term that came along in the late 90s that I liked. And so it's people that are genuinely following Christ. We believe that Christ followers should always manifest authenticity and yearn for continuous growth. Now what this says is if you're a true believer that Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins, you're always trying to grow. You're always trying to address your spiritual growth issues and that you are going to manifest authenticity to do that. In other words, you're not going to fake it, but you're going to really do that. Um, I, st- I always look for weird illustrations and I started Googling. Uh, actually, I think I was on YouTube searching uh, authentic versus fake. And it's weird when you do that because everything that pops up is shoes and handbags. Ladies, apparently there's a ton of you have fake handbags. I didn't know this. But uh, yeah, these real expensive handbags, and there's a whole bunch of fake ones out there just like them. So, and there's people on people on YouTube with these videos, and they got the real bag and the fake bag, and they're taking you all through, going, "See how the zipper here does this, and see this stitching right here. This one stitch says this is not the real thing. You paid five hundred dollars for something that wasn't real." And uh, so they go through all that. It's pretty pretty amazing to to watch a bunch of that. As I thought, well, surely there'll be something I can use. And I'm like, no, nope, shoes and handbags, lots and lots and lots of shoes and handbags that are faking. You know, if you're wearing Adidas shoes, good luck with that because there's tons of people faking those. I don't even know why you would want to fake an Adidas shoe, but apparently they do, and uh, Nikes and other things. But <clears throat> what I was entertained by was I learned that Wednesday night at practice, Brandon had a little thing attached to the back of his phone to put your hand in and hold. And uh, when he, when he, I wasn't here, I was at junior camp working with little kids and uh, we had a great time at junior camp this year, by the way, and had eight, I think it was eight children saved and a whole bunch of them rededicated. So that was awesome for K through six, by the way, and uh, just an awesome time with them. But while, while they were at practice Wednesday night, Brandon was showing somebody something that somebody had given him to attach the back of his cell phone and it sticks on and you put your hand in it. It helps you hold your phone so you don't lose it. I, if, I'm real bad with a thin phone. I like Brandon hates the fat cases. And I actually have my, why do I have my phone? Don't call me because I have my phone in my pocket. Um, but I like, I like the big fat cases and because uh, I can hang on to them, right? That's, I, my, the bigger the phone, the better for me. My long skinny fingers, those little thin phones they're making now that, you know, like paper, I just, as soon as it's in my hand and I start trying to touch something, I just throw it on the floor. It's like, just throw it down now. I might as well do that. So Brandon doesn't like that at all. And uh, so, so he's got his one that he can put his little hand through. Well, he spins around and quiet, natured, gentle Caleb, who never speaks at band practice, by the way. Just, you even ask him at prayer time. You got any prayer requests? I don't know where he gets that from, by the way. But uh, he's very quiet-natured. He's sitting there. When he sees that, he just freaks out and he says, What's that junk on your phone? Okay, Because he has a friend that manufactures these really cool little bands. And uh, he's going to give me some royalties for mentioning this in the service. If you have, if you need, have a need for that, you should see Caleb. He, he's a promoter of his best friend's design. These really cool little bands that go on the back of your phone. And, and they're meant to... They got this really special adhesive and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's really nice if you have trouble holding on to your phone and thumb typing at the same time, this will solve your problem. Well, you know, now Brandon has one of those because Caleb saw the fake one 
and freaked out. He's like, you got to have the authentic, real deal, right? I mean, ladies, if you found out your diamond ring was really cubic zirconium, you'd freak, you know? And there'd be a, you know, black and blue-faced husband sitting next to you for the next few weeks. You know, you'd be like, what were you thinking? Right? I mean, we're very serious about authentic versus real in lots of categories of our life. And uh, we were laughing with, uh, they're not here today, but the Gonzalez family that owns margaritas. Uh, we were laughing with them one Wednesday night about Taco Bell, and they're like, oh, that's not real Mexican food. Of course, they own a Mexican restaurant. They would know. <laughs> you know that's not, and we're like, you know, I know you think we don't know that, but we all know that it's not real Mexican food. It's just a quick stop is all it is. So, but it's interesting that we, we look at a lot of things for, for authenticity. So what I want to do is look at your spiritual life and pick just a very important category this morning for authenticity. And I want you to, to decide because there's a huge difference between a religious person and a regenerated person. There's a lot of religious people and they're going to wind up at the great white throne at junior camp. We actually did this. I was amazed that the junior camp speaker, Colin Campbell, who was at my church in Birmingham for just a few months he served as the intern there and a helper and his wife was in my college group but uh he he actually took the campers K through 6 at the end of the camp and he separated them into two lines and he gave them a little storyline that there was their personal stories like this is your we're, we're having an imagination moment and you this your new name is this and this is who you are you own a bank or or you do this or you do that and he had all them have you know you're a school teacher and you know, you like ping pong and that kind of thing. And they all had these little identities that were their new identities. And he put them in two lines. And he sent one line to heaven because he, he represented Christ. And he said, here's what you've done. And he had a group of adults standing behind him that were considered the L.O.T.s, the least of these. And he said, these people, and these were, you know, there's a homeless guy, there's a guy from prison, there's a, you know, there's a... <laughs> He said, here's the lady that can't stop talking, which was funny because he pointed to the lady in the LOTs that was really a lady at camp that can't ever stop talking. And uh, so she's just constantly talking. So he, he, he's, he's got the people lined up, and he says, this group of people trusted Christ as their Savior, and because of that, because of their authentic relationship with Christ, they treated the LOTs differently. And then he had this other line. And he said, and here's, here's your identity. And he explained who they all were. And, all. and there's, these are K through six little kids. They're all lined up down the center aisle, you know, just waiting to figure out where they get to go. And you know what he told them? He said, you have to go into outer darkness. You have, you're going to hell. And I'm like, Colin, you just sent half the camp to hell. That can't be good going home with mom. Somehow in the van on the way home, they've got to undo, the pastors have got to undo. My pastor sent me to hell. And so, so when we talked about the whole concept of it, it was fun to talk with him. He's very creative in how he teaches. But he, he reminded him, this is imagination. He goes, but one day, because he really, and I told him, I said, man, it, it, when he did it that night, it was beautiful. I said, it really does hit home that one day there's going to be two groups, two lines, you know, and one group's going to go to eternal bliss, and one group's going to go into outer darkness, into hell. That's how it's going to end, right? And, and the difference is how you... Trusted, whether you trusted Christ fully, authentically, and if you're an authentic Christian, that group of lost people, or uh, LOTs, the least of these, were impacted by your life. That's how that works. And uh, so it was very interesting 
to watch him go through that. But there's a great difference between religious people because you remember the people in that other line? You remember what they said to Jesus? Hey, we cast out demons in your name. We ran around and you know, had ministries all over doing all kinds of stuff. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, it's interesting because Jesus knows everything, right? And everybody, he knows every one of their names. He knows the numbers of hairs on all their heads. So the word know there isn't, I don't know who you are. He goes, I don't have any personal experiential knowledge with you. You're not part of the family. These are my family. They're going to live with me forever. These aren't. So there's a, there's a time coming where that separation is going to be crystal clear, and it's the difference in a religious person and a truly regenerated person. Um, and I, I'm just going to ask you to hold up your hands. I know this is kind of a weird question to ask in church, but it's just an accountability moment for all of us. How many of you know personally people who talk about prayer, talk about Christ, talk about church, even their church maybe, but in a pinch or in a hard time at work, they display no sense of faith, trust, or hope, or belief in God. In other words, they have the language, but not the, at the behavior and the core. I mean, you know people like that. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, I can show them to you because, you know, I'm kidding. But there's a ton of people out there, you know, that, that I was talking with a guy at the gas station just a few days ago. We were comparing notes about lawnmowers. And he found out, I told him, I said, I don't do it every day. You know, I'm just, one day, one day we could get to cut grass and, you know, so I'm not really like all into it like you are, but that's a great mower and kind of thing. And we were talking and, uh, he asked what else I did. I said, well, I'm pastor of a little church, you know, up the road, you know, it's my joy of my life to get to serve those people. Oh, really? And he was a Christian all of a sudden, man. He was all into being a Christian and woo we were having a good time. We we're talking about his church and what he does and how he, you know, loves the Lord and the Bible and all that. He's just having a great conversation till his phone rings and it's one of his customers that he just cut that was not happy with him. Okay. And I mean, and he is blasting that customer, just blessing him out left and right. He's using foul language like crazy. You know, his, his children, by the way, are helping him that day. He's, he's got two or three young children that had come to help him that day. They're standing right there in front of him while he's using all this foul language. And I just wanted to slap him and go, okay, here's the deal. If you're going to cuss in front of your children, don't tell me in front of them that you're a Christian. That's not helping. <laughs> you're not helping, right? Because he was living this unauthentic standard Right in front of them. And it's making, it's confused, it confused me. You know, I've been a pastor a very long time and I'm going, so really I thought we were connecting and now we're not connected at all. You know, I was like backing up going, okay, enjoy your grass cutting for the day. And if that customer needs help, I'll give somebody, one of our guys will cut grass for him. So, but it's very interesting um, how we see all that. So I want to give you a couple of reminders. We're saved by grace. Through faith. You did nothing to save yourself. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead people can't help themselves. If you're laying on the bottom of the ocean drowned, Christ had to come in and actually take you out of the bottom of the ocean, bring you onto shore, breathe life into you, and create life in you. That's literally what happened. He created life in us, gave us new life. And so now we're new creations, right? We were saved by grace. Through faith. Let's, can we say that out loud together? I am saved by grace through faith. Try it with me now. I am saved by grace through faith. Can you tell I've been at junior camp all week long? Because I'm going to make you repeat things all day. That's what we're going to do. So at junior camp, you just go, say this with me now, boys and girls. But it's true. We're saved by grace. What we forget sometimes is we're also sanctified by grace. We think the sanctification thing is something else altogether different. <clears throat> sanctification means to be made right. 
to be made holy, to be made pure. But we're made pure by grace through faith. If you need a verse for that, Ephesians 2 is the verse for the first one. If you need a verse for that, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Grace instructs us in godliness. It actually teaches us to deny ungodliness and instructs us in godliness. Grace does that. Not anything you did. It's actually given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit and His instructions and uh, His care for you and counsel for you. So, so we're not only made clean or made <clears throat> right with God through grace, we're actually made clean. You know, you remember from our series, our family series, the number one problem we have is us, right? You're the biggest problem you're going to ever have. You get in your way of living like God wants you to all the time. You're the number one problem. Anytime you have a problem, okay, it's because you're a bad person and for the for the money. That's right. It's really for myself. Okay? We're bad people. That's what I taught at camp. I'm a bad person and for myself. That's what I tend to do that messes up everything. So we have this sin nature. And what it is 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 a it's a toxicity. It's like a it's literally like if you went outside and and lost your balance and fell in this huge mud pit, just dressed like you are today, you go fall in this giant mud pit and you got mud all over you and there's nobody there to help you and you get up and you're going to clean yourself off. Well, you got mud caked on your hands, you got mud caked in your, on your back and your front and your, you're everywhere. So what are you going to do? You're going to wipe the mud, right? Is it going to be any less muddy when you're done? Maybe a little, maybe a little. But you're still going to have mud all over you unless you have a cleansing agent. Unless somebody with a hose or, you know, a towel, even a towel is not going to help you. You're going to have to have something with running water to actually cleanse you. Now you can be made clean, right? So you can't, you can't even cleanse yourself. That's a work that God does. And I want to show you that today, but I want to also show you what our part is. So kingdom people, and by that I mean real Christ followers, will be different than the world. We're going to be different people. Okay, We're going to actually have, have lived differently and looked differently. We're going to start in the book of Hebrews this morning. A verse I'd love for you to underline and mark in your Bibles if you have them with you, your physical Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says, after talking about all these very amazing people of faith in chapter 11, the roll call of the faithful we call it, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the roll call of the faithful, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So to experience authentic growth, the thing that will stand out to you in that verse is let's lay aside every sin that entangles us. Lay aside the sin. That's simple, isn't it? This is like Christianity you know, 0.01, not 101, but 0.01. I got saved, now I need to lay aside the sin. Jesus is, is my Lord, now I need to stop sinning. It's the thing he said to the adulterous woman after he released her from her literally death sentence. He says, she says, where are those that would accuse you? He goes, she says, nobody, Lord. 
He goes, go and sin no more. Let's, let's lay aside this sin, right? So he's challenging us to do that. The, the, the context, uh, I want you to turn to Ephesians 4 now because I want you to give you a very specific here, a very specific guideline. We believe Colossians and Ephesians were all written in the same day. The Apostle Paul, within a day of the, probably within a day at least, penned these two letters. They're so very similar in so many places. And I just recently talked through Colossians 3, so some of this is going to sound very familiar to you. Paul has addressed the core issues that are part of our fallen nature in Ephesians chapter uh, 3 and 4. And uh, he's talked about our salvation. Ephesians 2, we uh, saved by grace through faith. But he's dealt with some core issues, and he's not going to preach... Uh, and I'm not going to preach on those core issues that cause us to have that fallen nature or that drive the fallen nature. We'll do that later in the new series I'm doing. But just to summarize, he says at one time in your life, now think about your past before Christ, one time in your life you were hard-hearted, you were living in darkness, and you had futile lives. Hard-hearted, living in darkness, and you had futile lives. You had a futility of life where life really didn't have any meaning, you weren't going anywhere before you knew Christ. That's just simple truth. Now, you want to change that if you don't know Christ your Lord and Savior and you don't want to be a hard-hearted, um, futile living person, then you, you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to ask Jesus to be the one to save you and trust that he, will, he saved you on the cross and that He will come into your life and change you. That's how the gospel works. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. You'll look at that with me. Apostle Paul says, Therefore, having put away any falsehood... Now watch how he's talking about laying aside. Having put away any falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Put it aside. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, that he will have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths. But only talk of such things that are good for building up as is fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who are here. So instead of talking down negatively to people, instead of having you know bad words that you say, let's talk positive words. Build them up with grace. Let your speech be seasoned with grace, he says in Colossians. So verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, just for those of you that were here through the Colossian study we did, uh, the put away is the take off. It's the exact same Greek word. He says, take all those garments off. Don't clothe yourself in these things. Uh, bitterness or wrath and anger and clamor. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what's the point? Real simple, change. You Christians, Paul's writing to the Christians at Ephesus and Colossae, by the way, and he says, change. You trusted Christ. Now make the change. Stop sinning. Lay aside the sins. If you're a thief, don't steal anymore. Get a job. Earn some money for your needs. Don't let anger ruin your testimony. Get control of your anger. Don't let bad words come out of your mouth anymore. There should be no more slander, no more unkind behavior. No more grudges, that's bitterness. Don't, don't hold a grudge against somebody that's hurt you. Let go of all that. No more unforgiving spirits. So how do I lay aside my sin? How do I 
This passage says, how do I put it away? Verse 22 in this passage, just a few verses before, says, uses the word lay aside. How do I do that? Because Hebrews says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay it aside. Well, I had a friend of mine at camp. We spent long hours talking and an adult, a couple of adults there I'm really close to, and we just would, would stay up and talk at night and sit, sit after in between the activities and stuff and, and just talk. And I had one talking to me, and he was telling me that he had struggled with this sin in his life for years. And, you, and what he finally did is he said, you know, I know enough of my Bible. I just need to go talk to spiritual leaders about this. I need to submit myself to one of my pastors, own my sin, you know, reveal it to them, say, help me. And what broke my heart was we talked about the almost 15-year journey he went on trying to get a spiritual leader that would actually help him. It broke my heart. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Because when he first told the story, I'm like, well, sure, the pastor, you know, and he says, well, you know, the first thing he did was say he would pray with me. I said, well, that's good. I said, but then he said, then he kind of started avoiding me because he knows my personal sin life now. And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want me to, you know, I was volunteering to teach some Sunday school class and eventually he's saying, hey, we got somebody to cover that. We're okay. And he said, I knew instantly, you know, that what I was struggling with wasn't okay with the pastor and he was backing off of me. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Why wouldn't he pursue that to help you? Why wouldn't he come alongside you and minister to you to help you lay aside your, your wanting to cleanse yourself of your sin and you're being authentic. So why wouldn't that happen? Well, Ephesians 4 says we're supposed to change and we're going to need some help to do that. So I'm going to give you three things to help you do that. We talked through these in our discussion the other night. We talked through these. The first one is by the, literally by the cleansing of rebirth. It's called the cleansing by rebirth. Okay? And, and there's a beautiful passage in Titus that uses these specific concepts. It's actually, he uses the washing of regeneration. I love that phrase in Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done in, by us in righteousness. In other words, we couldn't save ourselves. You can't rub all the mud off of you. He saved us. But according to his own mercy. How did he do that? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope. So the minute you got saved and trusted Christ your Lord and Savior, God gave you the Holy Spirit. And he, he put the Holy Spirit inside you who instantly went into full scrub mode. Let's cleanse all these sins. Let's wash you clean of your sins. I, I don't know if your salvation experience was like mine, but right after I got saved as a young boy, um, I felt cleaner. I felt different. I was, too, you know, I was in the second grade, um, but I did. I felt cleaner. And, and, and I, something had happened to me. Now, it took years for me to figure out kind of what was happening there and what continued to happen, all, even through my high school days when I was in the youth group here at this church. 
There were kids that would come in and they were, they were struggling with some sins and some things that were beating them up because they had not been trained, they had not been raised in the gospel, they had not been raised under the word of God. So they had all these sins that were tempting them. And I'm sitting there having been saved from the second grade and grown up in good, healthy church with a lot of teaching, a lot of scripture memory. I had all this, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel that temptation like you do. I feel cleaner. You know, there was something in me that was different. Well, the Holy Spirit comes in and when He re helps us in our rebirth moment, He literally cleanses us. He cleanses us from head to toe, literally clothes us in the righteousness of God so that we're acceptable to God now. And that's a pretty awesome deal. Your soul, if you know Christ your Lord and Savior, your soul has been washed clean by the Holy Spirit. Head to toe, clean soul. That's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal, right? But then there's the washing of the Word that has to take place. Go back to Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 5. And this is the passage. We, some, some people miss the theology of this because it's buried up in the, the husband and wife concept passage where husbands are to behave a certain way and wives are to behave a certain way and they miss what's actually theologically very strong here. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. Now, what did Christ do? He loved the church. He sacrificed. He gave Himself up for her that He might satisfy or sanctify her. Sanctify is that word to make holy, to make pure. How did He do that? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word. Isn't that interesting? The Word of God cleanses us so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be uh, holy without blemish. One of the fundamental truths of Northside Bible Church is that we are going to preach the Bible to you. Every Sunday, you're going to hear lots and lots and lots of Bible verses. Why? The, I don't change people. I can't change you to save my life. But the Bible has the power in its words because it's holy the Bible is a holy Bible, by the way, which means it's set apart from ordinary things. It's not earthly. It's spiritual and it's divine. And when we get the Bible, when the Bible actually gets into you, now it has the ability to wash you, to change you. And the Bible can do that if you allow it to do it. Okay? You have to have the Bible to help you do that. Ephesians 4.23, the verse we... Or let's do Psalm 119. Wasn't that first? Psalm 119. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I was a kid, I memorized this verse. Thy word have I hid, King James, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Thy word have I hid. The Hebrew word means treasured. How do I overcome sin? I have to treasure the word. Now, the Holy Spirit's in there scrubbing me clean, right? The Holy Spirit's in there to remind me, the Bible says He's my counselor. He's going to counsel me with the word of God. If I don't have the Word of God helping me, I'm in trouble. Ephesians 4.23, just a couple of verses before where we started reading today, he says we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. How does the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in us, interact and intersect with us? In other words, where do those two combine? Where do they connect where does the spiritual walk that I'm going to have intersect with this physical body and life that I'm living, these choices that I'm making? Where does all that intersect? Right here, in my brain, in my head, in my mind. And so it's our minds that the Word of God has to wash through. In our minds, through the Word of God, the Word of God pours into our minds and renews us. 
Which is why so many people who are not living in the Word or reading in the Word, staying in the Word regularly, are just not exercising any authentic growth. You can't grow spiritually if you're not reading your Word. And I don't mean listening to me read it to you. I mean you reading it. So which of these two washings, the washing, there's a washing by the Holy Spirit and a washing by the Word, which of these two washings do you think you have to participate in? The Word. You don't control the Holy Spirit at all. He controls you, right? You have no concept of how to control the Holy Spirit. You're never supposed to because He's God, very God. But the second washing is the washing by the Word, and that takes place when you decide... I do want to be made clean. I do. And I need to, I need to get some cleansing agent going. So when, when, when you take a piece of cloth, you take a dirty garment, it's got a bunch of mud on it, ladies, and you put all your little treatments on. I had a pin blow up in my, my favorite pair of jeans at camp while I was leading worship one day. My, my jeans, I, when I put, put my hand in my pocket later, I was like, why is my finger blue everywhere? And then I realized, well, because my whole jeans are dark blue right here. And I had a pen. So last night I told them, I said, hey, I got these jeans back from camp. I really want to get the ink out of them. And she told me, go rub this stuff on OxyClean or whatever it was. Rub it on there, leave it in there. Over there. Don't put it in, don't, don't wash it yet. We're going to let it soak. We're going to do it again. She's got all these things. And, and then we're going to put it in the washing machine, right? Because we don't do the old hand thing anymore. None of y'all do that, right? I'm just making sure. Okay. We're going to put it in a washing machine. And a washing machine has water that comes in. Right? Fills it up. And then it has this thing in the middle called the agitator. Hmm, that's interesting. And then we hit this button and, and magically, mystically, magically, okay, while you're doing other things that you may or may not want to be doing in your house, your washing machine produces clean clothes for you. And you get to put them in the dryer, right? Pretty cool deal. But how does it actually do that? Well, the water has to combine with some cleansing agent, the soap that you put in there, right? And, and, and then the agitator moves the water and the cloth so that the soap is pushed back and forth through the cloth. Back and forth through the cloth multiple times, right? And they rinse it all out and then they start over and they get to do it again. And you push that, you push that through the fabric. You only get to do that with an agitator, right? So the things that it takes to clean a good a pair of clothes or clean a good cloth is water, a cleansing agent, and an agitator. Cleansing agent is the Word of God, right? It says right here, the Word of God's, God. Christ cleansed us with the Word of God. So if you've got the Word of God in your life, you can get cleaner if you get agitated. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, you just have to go to church, that's how. <laughs> Hang out with some good church people. They'll agitate you in a heartbeat. Okay. People, life, bosses, you know, people agitate each other. Life is agitating. How am I supposed to live through this agitation? Ah, wait, the Word of God. The Word of God's going to come, and I'm going to take the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in me, and He's going to wash through my life. And I'm going to let the Word of God push into my life and push all that dirt out. He's going to push all the dirt out. Now, if I, if I run from agitation, in other words, if I avoid the conflicts, I don't get to grow. By the way, you stay very immature if you try all the time to never get in conflicts, never deal with stuff. If you never deal with your stuff, you never get to grow, right? 
But the other thing you never get to grow with, if you go, well, you know, I'm just, I, don't, I can't read the Word. I don't like, it's complicated, it's boring or whatever. If you stay away from the Word of God, authentic growth cannot happen for you because authentic growth has the Holy Spirit's ability along with your ability working to help you grow. Here's a simple question. It's rhetorical. Don't answer out loud. Kurt, good. It's just a say. Okay. Does owning a good leather-bound Bible help wash your soul from cleansing and keep sin that trips you up out of your life? Does owning a good leather-bound Bible help you do that? Nope. How about a really, really fine tablet? What if you're, a, you're an Apple weirdo? If you own one of those Apple tablets, it's really cool, right? You got like the latest little thin tablet. If you own a great tablet and you download version Bible, if your smartphone doesn't have version Bible, it should... You download Version Bible and some other good Bible apps. Does owning a good tablet with a good version of the Bible on it wash your life from sin? No. No. It won't help you. Just owning it, just knowing where it is. I know right where my Bible is, Pastor. Good for you. Have you read it? Does any of it make any, is any of it locked into your life? Does, does having the Bible, does having a doctrinal degree in theology help me wash my soul and cleanse me from my sin? No. It's not the knowledge that's the issue. It's the application. What, what cleanses my life is when I go, hey, I see this verse and I understand it here intellectually, but now I want it in my life. Well, that means I got to get in the washing machine with it and let it wash into my life. And I've got to let the Lord teach me how to live this verse out in my life as he, as he pushes that word through my life and pushes the sin out of the fabric of my very life. He will push the sin out of the fabric of my very life if I'll spend time with him in the word. I have to spend time with him. The only other thing that can help you now because you've got the washing of the Holy Spirit, you've got the washing by the Word, the cleansing of those two. Now you need the covenant with fellow believers. The third way to deal with sin, to lay aside your sins, is to covenant together with fellow believers. And you can't battle sin. Most of us don't ever do well battling sin by ourselves. We just don't. There's four or five. One of the coolest things about this little tiny camp that I get to take go to once a year and teach and then go back to and help serve one other time. It only meets twice a summer uh, for youth. And, and uh, one of the coolest things about it is a whole bunch of pastors show up there to help. Um, guys like me and younger and older. And so it's just a group of pastors and we sit around all night long and all at morning coffee and prayer time. We just sit around talking bad about our church. No, we don't talk bad about our churches. We sit around talking about the issues that we're going through and the stuff we're struggling with. And we battle together. We go, hey man, how are you handling this? How do you handle when that happens? And I had some great advice given to me this week. I was like, oh, Lord, I needed to hear a fellow soldier in the, in the body just give me that advice as a counselor to me. I needed somebody to walk alongside me. We have accountability, have accountability here with our eldership and, and all the men that serve with me. So Ephesians 4.25, remember we read this verse. There's one of those parts you'll skip right over. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. Why am I supposed to speak truth to each other? Okay, one truth is part can you know can be the word, but he's actually saying let's just not lie to each other, for we are members one of another. This verse literally says, would you please be authentic with your church? Would you just be real here? 
if you don't want to share it out there, it's not safe to tell people out there what your problems are sometimes. Matter of fact, it's very bad sometimes. But in the body, you need a group of people. There's 13 times, by the way, 13 times in the New Testament that the one another's are crystal clear commands of Paul to his churches. He's talking to the Christians that he's built little cell groups and churches around and he says, get with each other. Don't stand alone as a Christian. You'll die. The sheep that wanders outside the fold and gets away from the fold of sheep is lunch for the wolves. That's what he is. Because sheep can't protect themselves. The only protection sheep have is to be a bunch of sheep. A big, big ball of wool sort of freaks out the wolves. They're like, hey, I don't know what to do with that. It's too big. We all bunch up. That's why sheep bunch up together when they, when they know something's coming. That's their defense mechanism. Let's all get together. Right? Some dumb sheep, not saying to y'all, but some dumb sheep go, no, I got this. I can handle this by my, I don't need y'all. Walks away out here by himself. He's just lunch. He's just lunch. The enemy is going to take him back to the den and feed him to the rest of the enemy. That's what's going to happen. And you guys know Christians who don't fellowship with believers, who, who don't spend time in accountability and support and help with each other, who don't come to small group studies like we do on Wednesdays here, who don't spend time in discipleship. You don't go to another guy or another woman in the church and go, hey, could you just help me walk through this little... I'm in a dark valley in my life right now. If you're in a dark place in your life... Find somebody in the church that you look up to, somebody that you've heard their faith story and say, you've walked through this. You're there. Can you, can you just hold my hand for a few weeks till we get past this? That'd be great. That's what accountability does, and that's how you help. So you have to covenant together. The cleansing of the Holy Spirit, that's all on God, right? The washing and renewal of the Word, that's God and you. You can't understand the Word unless He reveals it to you. But it says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, yea, the deep things of God. Well, how's he going to do that? You've got to read your Bible. You've got to speak your Bible. You've got to listen to your Bible online. You've got to do something to get the Bible to you. It can't lay on a table. It can't be something you just have present in your life. It's got to be something that you bring into your life and make it work. Now there's authentic growth possibilities. Huge, by the way. Because when the Word of God gets into your life... It starts pushing sin out of your life. And now you have to, now you're, now you're agitated. <laughs> you're pushing sin out of my life. God, I like that sin. I kind of like doing that. Uh, that's my comfort zone. I'm very happy with this part of my life. And God goes, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. So, our first point this morning, and we're going to go very fast through the second one because it's real easy. Our first point was to experience authentic growth, I have to lay aside sin. But in Hebrews, he actually says you also have to lay aside every Wait. There's a sin that you need to lay aside. But Hebrews 12, he says, I need to lay aside. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let me lay aside every weight and sin. Now, the sin was obvious. Y'all got that right away, and everybody went, oh, yeah, we got to get rid of our sins. That's cool. Here's the weight. Weight is not sin. It's different. So now I have to lay aside something else. The weight in this text grammatically means a mass or a bulk. And it was used to describe a person, literally means a weight that hunches you over. That once it's on you, you can't carry it standing up. It, it, it strains your physical body. So it's a, a bulk or a mass, a burden that causes you to bend down under its load. Some of y'all are watching the 
Olympics. How many of you watched some of the Olympics, even just a few pieces of the Olympics at all? Nobody watching the Olympics? Okay. The trials for the Olympics, everybody getting ready to go to the Olympics kind of deal. Right? You watch those runners. You know why they wear almost nothing? Okay? Because they're getting rid. They're laying aside the weights. We've made clothing now that weighs almost nothing. And, and it's, it, the whole point is you can't wear something heavy to, and run good. You can't wear something heavy and run good. And what Paul's calling, or what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do is to run with endurance the race. But to run the race, you gotta lay aside your sins. Okay? That's the, for the, for the athlete, that's the Krispy Kremes. You gotta lay aside those sins. Okay? But then, don't talk bad about my Krispy Kremes. But then, there are these weights that you have in your life that are slowing you down as an athlete. You gotta get rid of those. What are the weights for us? Okay, let me just give you a couple of examples. It could be, um, could be your shopping habits. It could be how you spend your money or even how you view your stuff, how you deal with your things and your stuff. Um, what about uh, the time you spend on Facebook or gaming or TV shows? What about people groups that you hang out with that you should avoid? You know what they're doing? They're slowing your race down. You're not able to run with endurance because you're... Spending time with these weights that aren't helping you at all. They're dragging you down. But how about the fact that we complicate our own lives so complicated that we can't live for Jesus? How about that fact? We make our lives so complex that we can't live for Jesus. You young millennials, I'll just give you a warning shot across the bow. Okay, If you try to get your kids into everything that's going on, the church takes fifth place to all of that in their lives. And, it, and they'll learn from your behavior that the church doesn't have to be important. It's, Bill, Bill would say it's just one tick on the clock. Okay, The church should be the centerpiece of your life because it is where your spiritual growth can happen. It's where you and your family commune with God and other believers that can grow up in their faith. The church needs to be the center of your life. And if we have time to do you know, soccer, piano, violin, you know, accordion lessons or whatever else we're trying to throw in there, if we got time for all of that, you know, and then we're going to do, you know, water aerobics and whatever else we're doing. If we got time for all that, once we've got ourselves centered on the things of Christ and the building up of his kingdom and the work that we're supposed to be doing there. So we can literally self-complicate ourselves. Legalism, theological baggage can cause you to act the part, but it's weights that keep you from ever being authentic in your growth. You can work on the externals and not the internals. So even religion can weigh you down. All of us have burdens, weights that keep us from running healthy. And some, some, sometimes you make it a hobby. Sometimes your very best hobby becomes a weight that keeps you from getting close to God. Sometimes it's not a hobby, it's a hiding place. You have a hiding place for yourself because I just need some time or whatever it is you're doing. And now you have this, this thing you do that's not helping you run the race. It's actually hurting you. So I saw this, uh, is the picture there? I saw this picture this week at camp and I thought I had to, to show it to you. Nope, not the bake sale. <laughs> yeah. We do need to look at the bake sale. There we go. Pokemon says go and every, everyone's in 30 billion neighborhoods. Jesus says go and you're just stuck on the couch. It's pretty good, right? Because Jesus commands us to go and communicate the gospel. And we go, hey, let me think through that. Lord, um, 
How do, I, how do I do that? But Pokemon says go, and people just go running out into the streets. Darlene and I were having this conversation last week when that first hit. We, we both almost hit somebody that was stepping into a very busy place, not paying attention, right? You, you can't let your life be run by that stuff. You've got to let your life be run, literally run, by all that. So the key to most of our burdens is discontent. When we get discontent, we start trying to figure things out rather than letting Christ and the Holy Spirit, washing of the Word, become our satisfaction. We start looking for something to make us content and it becomes actually a burden to us. We burden ourselves searching for contentment in, that's really found in Christ. So we need to live authentically. We need to... need to. I want you to become a Christian who's authentic, where you're real... You're real when you're with our Christian friends here. And you're running after Jesus, fighting against sin with the Word of God. You're not fighting against sin just wildly. You're actually saying, hey, I'm going to learn more Word this week. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to get some books about the Word. I'm going to find the Word. Uh, I'm going to find ways to get more Word into me every day. Because that's how I'm going to fight sin. And authentic growth happens when we lay aside our sins. And when we lay aside our weights. I want you to watch John Piper say this better than I could ever say it. And three minutes ago, you know, you could have showed that and we could all just went home. Um, there's just a three-minute video clip I'd like you to watch. Chapter 12, verse 1, near the end of the verse. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are a couple of things said here as a means to running. It says, lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Not just sins. Don't just lay aside sins to run this race. Lay aside every other weight that gets in your way. What this says is, don't just ask What's wrong with it? Don't just ask, is it a sin? That's about the lowest question you can ask in life. So what, well, preacher, what question should I ask if it's not, is it a sin? And the answer is, does it help me run? That's the answer. Does it get in my way when I'm trying to become more patient, more kind, more gentle, more loving, more holy, more pure, more self-controlled. Does it get in my way or does it help me run? Look to Jesus and lay aside sins for sure and lots of other stuff too. And a little voice is going to say, this looks like a lot of loss and not much gain. At that point, open your Bible to Hebrews 12, 2 and look at how Jesus in Gethsemane said, tomorrow morning is going to be a lot of loss. This is going to be mega loss at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. In fact, it's going to happen all night long. I will never sleep again before I die. And it's going to hurt like hell, literally. How did he do that? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So the answer is, yes, it's going to be loss. But I promise you, on the authority of God's word, 
The Christian life is gain. Say to the flesh and say to Satan, the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to me. And so I will lay aside every weight and I will lay aside every sin and I will run with Jesus. Amen. You want to run? You got to lay aside the sin. Got to get the word in you. Then you got to lay aside the weights. By the way, the word's going to identify the weights. You got to spend time in the word to identify those weights.